and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Moed Katan, daf kaf hey, page 25. For reasons that are totally unclear to me, I seem to be losing my voice further. I apologize for that and will try to speak very clearly. Um, our daf begins with the Gemara on the Mishnah at the bottom of the previous daf. So we'll begin with the Mishnah. Ein korin velo chultzin ve'ein mavrin el krovav shalmeit. Mourners do not tear their clothing on Cholamoid. And so here we come back to Cholamoid. And they do not um, take off their clothes, their garments from their shoulders. And they do not eat that mourner's meal after the burial, right? Unless they are the close relatives of the deceased. Now, I don't know if we've, we haven't mentioned who these seven relatives are for a long time. Let's mention them quickly, right? It's the people who mourn are... You know, anybody who, how do we say this? The seven who might have died would be parents or siblings or children or a spouse. Um, so those are the seven. And even then, when they have that meal after the burial, still they make sure that the mourners are sitting on an upright bed and not an overturned bed, which is a sign of mourning, um, but it's, I guess it's overturned afterwards. The Gemara picks up, you know, takes all this discussion, picks up on this discussion, and it asks further, The Gemara wants to know, what about if the person who died is a sage, a Torah scholar? And we saw this previously, right, where even though, um, for example, when Rav died and Shmuel tears his garments, it's not immediate, they're not related, but he still tears his Kriya, because of the dynamic between the two of them, the very special uh, mentor-colleague dynamic between the two of them. So here, the Gemara wants to know, what about the case of a Chacham? And didn't we learn elsewhere in a Breitza, right, that when a Torah scholar dies, everybody is considered his relative. Everybody is mourning that loss. So the Gemara goes, uh, picks up, you know, takes takes this question a step further. Really? Everybody's his relative? Did you really think that was the case? Ella hakol kikrovav. Rather, it should be understood to mean everyone is like his relative. Hakol korinalav. Everybody tears kriya on him. Vakol chotzinalav. And everybody takes their, bears their shoulder because of him. Vakol mavrin alav brachava. And everybody will eat that mourner's meal in the public square like mourners. So in that case, we do see that the scholar, the Torah scholar's loss is a loss for everybody, right? It does feel like a relative. So the Gemara then says, no, we need the Mishnah to teach the Halacha for the case where the person who has died is not a Torah scholar. Meaning we know that those are the rules if the person is a Chacham, but what about when someone is not a Chacham? Which is, you know, most people who die, who have relatives to mourn them, it's not the case of a Chacham. And then the Gemara says, well, what about somebody who is kasher, meaning upright, let's say, right? Uh, so then in that case, if somebody is like just a fundamentally good person who does good deeds and so on, so then shouldn't all the people near need to tear Kriya for that person? Now this is I almost don't want to translate this, but I will. Um, you know, Yardena, you had said that we didn't see any theology or any discussion of theodicy 
in our in all of the morning. And here, I think, uh, here is where it shows up. So right. the now, brain- this is how you all know that I really didn't prep the next time yeah. when I said that. I read that and I was like, oh, this is where it finally is. <laughs> here it finally is. And here it is in a way that I think is, it runs very much against our green today. It says, why is it that a person's sons or daughters might die young? This is terrible. Like, like I said, you can't even say it out loud, really, right? Because nowadays, and, and from a philosophical and a theological perspective, we're very, I think, I, I myself am very strong to say, we don't understand how God runs the world. And that is the only real theological answer I have, or lack of answer, but it's the only one that works for me to explain how it is that a person's child, child sons or daughters could die young. But the Gemara is from a different era and doesn't have as much compunction to give actual reasons. And the Gemara says, I think there is no way to read this in any way that is palatable to anybody's um, modern sensibilities about the way we understand or don't understand God in the world. The Gemara doesn't really like it, though, either. So we should at least give the Gemara credit for that. They die so that he's going to mourn, so that he's going to cry, meaning really? And I feel like, okay, Gemara, good. Like you're, We at least you know can understand that the Gemara, and some voices in the Gemara share our you know, contemporary sensibilities about the incomprehensibility of God's actions in the world. So the Gemara goes on. Ervonak Shakilmine is considered that he's taken from the, the the children are considered like a security, right? That he's gonna they're taken from him to make sure that in the future he will mourn over the death of somebody. So I want to take a step back and say that the Gemara's question here, if we translate it really carefully, seems to suggest that the, the person mourning his children would then later come to cry and mourn over somebody else who would die who's an Adam Kasher, which I don't know if that's the only way to read the Gemara. It did not strike me that way to begin with, but that does seem to be how the Gemara reads the Gemara. His security is taken from him, meaning his children is taken, are taken from him. The idea is that the bright here means that because he did not cry or mourn over an upright person who died, then it's, then it's presented as a punishment. And that doesn't make anything better, meaning the Gemara's outrage at the question is, is answered with an answer that is worse than the answer, the first answer. So this may be as useful, or maybe not, that anybody who does really cry, weep, and mourn for some, for the upright person who has died, the Gemara says, all of that person's sins are forgiven because of the honor and respect that he that is given to the person who is an Adam Kasher. The love Adam Kasher who. Right? So the Gemara says, well, then the Mishnah is still referring to the person who's not an Adam Kasher. Meaning if the Gemara is trying to read the Mishnah to be about a Chacham or about an Adam Kasher, the Gemara concludes, no, no, the Mishnah is not talking about either of those specific characters. So then the Gemara goes on to challenge what go, the, you know, what's happening. 
chiyuvei mechayev. So if somebody's standing at the at the deathbed, right, then that person is obligated to tear his clothing. And we have a break to the teachers. It's Tatani, Rabbi Shimon ben Alazar, Omer, HaOmeid Ahabit Bishat Yitziat Nishama, Chayav Likroa. Anybody who's there, meaning it's not about being a relative, it's about being in the presence of the departing soul. And the Gemara makes the comparison to a Torah scroll that is burned, and the person, anybody who's there at the time that the Torah is burned, is also obligated to tear Kriya. So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, no, no, our Mishnah is not talking about somebody who's standing there at the deathbed. right? We're talking about someone who has, the question is, we're, are we talking about not a close relative, the deceased is not a Talmud Chacham, the deceased is not an Adam Kasher, right? Those are the people who do not tear Kriya during Cholam meaning not for a close relative, not for a Talmud Chacham, not for an Adam Kasher, and not for somebody where you're at the deathbed. Everybody else, now who these mourners are, right? Who do not tear Kriya during Cholam it gets a little bit more complicated, right? Like, who's mourning then in this case? Um, and so then the commentaries here are specifically saying that we have, that there are days, right, where the mourners would, there are mourners who would be tearing their clothing, and there are others who who would not be. Um, okay. I think I'm going to stop here and hand it over to you. So I love that part, Anne, that really talks about how sort of like if you're there at that moment when a soul departs, uh, regardless of what your relationship is with the person, that you really have to, that you have to tear Kriya because you're really there at what I think we would all consider to be like a kadosh moment. Like that is a moment of sanctity and you have to express that, uh, you know, by tearing Kriya. The Gemara then moves on uh, to really, it's a fascinating daf. Well, first they go through the death of, three different rabbis, Rav Safra, Rav Hun, and Rav Chista, and all different sort of lessons that we could learn from their deaths, like from Rav Safra, that the Kriya doesn't only have to be done at the time of death, but also through the period of the eulogies. Uh, from Rav Huna, whether or not you put a safer Torah, uh, you know, on the same bed, you know, the buyer at, with the person uh, while he is alive. Um, and, uh, from, uh, you know, so, so these are the types of things. And then the Gemara sort of moves on from there, uh, to describe some eulogies, uh, that were actually given. So I wanted to just share one, uh, one story here of the eulogies, uh, which is this, uh, exchange with, with, uh, with Bar, with Bar Avin. Um, and so basically here with Ravashi, sorry, and, and Bar Avin. Amarle Ravashi Labar Kipuk. So Rav Ashi said to Bar, Bar Kipuk, and presumably this was before Ravina's uh, death, and Bar Kipuk was a very famous eulogizer. So he says, when Ravina dies, what is it that you're going to say? And so he said to him, Amina, So he says, if the cedars went up in flame, what shall the hiss of, uh, of, the, of the wall do? Right, if the Leviathan, if the Leviathan was lifted by hook, what shall a teeny fish of the marsh do? If the dryness overtook a flowing river, what can the water of the puddles do? The idea being 
sort of like the first half of all those descriptions is sort of a, let's say a powerful thing in nature or something that's giant. The cedars, the Leviathan, the, you know, a, a river that becomes dried up. And the idea is everything else around that thing, right? If it ceases to exist, will also will be difficult for them to exist. Amarle Bar Avin. So Bar Avin, who's listening to this, who also was a eulogizer, says to him, Chas v'shalom. He says, God forbid, right? That you should the word use the word flame uh, with uh, a righteous person, because I guess they, it wasn't considered to be like an honorable thing to mention these words. Uma Amar. So then Rabashi says to him, Okay, so what would you say? And I actually thought this was beautiful. Amina right where he says i would say cry for the mourners and not for which was lost right because that has gone to its shahila minucha meaning the the soul that was departed and here they're referring to presumably maybe ravina right has gone to eternal rest right but we the mourners we are sighing i i just thought this was a beautiful passage that really reflects it's a different way of eulogizing it's more talking about what the experience of grief is like for the people who are mourning as opposed to the person whose whose death were were grieving right he is speaking about that person by saying that that person went to minucha but it's really a discussion about the experience of grief which i thought was a very different way to present a eulogy and one that was very beautiful um and then finally I want to mention this passage that comes at the end, which basically describes sort of these like extraordinary incidences that occurred when certain Chachamim died. This is a pretty famous passage in the Gemara. When Rabbi Abahu passed away, right, it says, the pillars of Kesaria shed water, right? So, you know, many of the Mepharshim explained that the idea is, is that the mourning was so great that even stones, right? Stone that you can't get water out of, stones were weeping, right? Then it goes on to Rabbi Yossi. When Rabbi Yossi passed away, Shafu Mar Zavei Dama. The gutters of Tzipori spouted blood. Now that actually seems to be like very uh, bloody, uh, but the Yerushalmi actually talks about in Avodah that that blood was sort of a symbol of that Rabbi Yossi very much uh, uh, sort of... Uh, Thought that Jews should continue to do Brit Milah, should continue to do circumcision even during the Roman persecution. And so that, um, uh, you know, even when it was prohibited. And so that's what that is symbolic of. To Rabbi Yaakov, when Rabbi Yaakov passed away, the stars were visible during the day. In other words, the idea here is being is that the grief was so great when he died, right? That even, uh, you know, in other words, things were so were so dark that even during daylight, things that you normally can't see were able uh, to be seen. Right, that, that you could <laughs> see the stars during that time. To Rabbi Asi, when Rabbi Asi passed away, Ikaru Kol Ilane, all the trees uh, were uprooted. Um, and so, uh, right, the idea is supposed to be that maybe this was some some Mufarshim explained that there was some kind of storm to show like how upset all the trees get uprooted, right? That Rabasi like grounded everybody and now those roots, you know, come undone. To Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Chia passed away. Nechitu kefei denura me rikaya. The fiery stones uh, descended from uh, 
descended from the descended from the sky. Um, okay, so also like you know some uh, some type of uh, some type of natural you know unnatural phenomena that happens, right? But maybe also shows some type of anger or you know the fact that he passed away. To Rabbi Menachem, but Rabbi Yossi Simai, Rabbi Nachem, the son of Rabbi Simai, passed away, right? Right, the the graven images of idols and that were in coins were flattened and became like slabs. Now you should remember this Rabbi Menachem, the son of Rabbi Simai, because he was mentioned in Pesachim and Daf Kuf Dalit Amud Aleph, where it talked about. I don't know if you remember this Gemara that talked about that he was a, a sage who never looked at, he was a chacham who never looked at the image of even a, a person on a coin, right? Because that was considered to be a graven image. So when he dies, all the idols get destroyed. The Rabbi Tanchum Barchia, Rabbi Tanchum Barchia dies, it's katsutu kol at, sorry, I'm not having trouble, antridaya, right? All the monuments of the kings uh, were cut down. So again, maybe some of them unfortunately explained that maybe these uh, were, you know, uh, I- idols actually. So they get cut down as a testament to like how much of a tzaddik he was. To Rabbi El Yashiv, when Rabbi El Yashiv passed away, itchatru shivin machtrata benaharda. Seventy burglaries uh, happened in Naharda. So it literally means that there were seventy tunnels that were dug in Naharda. But the idea is, is that during his lifetime, Rashi explains, there was very little crime. And then when he died, right, uh, there was crime. Where the idea could be that, you know, when he was alive, he was able to keep people in check to not commit crime. And then when he died, that stopped happening. Uh, then it goes on, Dereb Hamnuna, Nichtu Kafe de Varda Mirika, right? So when he dies, hailstones come from the sky. So that's very similar, actually, uh, to the one that we saw before. Uh, with Rabbi Chia. Um, but again, the idea is, is that there's some type of distress happening or something bad happens after this Chacham dies. The uh, Rabbi Rav Yosef, when Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef pass away, Nashu the supporting arches of the bridges that were over the the Prat, Nahar Prat, the Euphrates broke and, uh, and they touched each other. Um, so this is the idea that sort of like the world becomes, like Rashi explains, like the world basically becomes unstable. Uh, and remember that near uh, near where they were, near Nahaprat, they were the Rosh Yeshiva of Pumpedita, um, which was on the banks of the Euphrates. So the idea is, so R- Rabbah died, uh, died first, um, and then Rav Yosef died. This is all Gemara and Brachos. Um, and so the idea is, is that this happened, you know, quickly. They didn't actually die at the same time, but the idea is, is that it was a time of instability when they both died so closely next to each other. Dabai the Rabbah, so again, another pair, when they passed away, Nashu the arches of the bridges over the Tigris broke out, broke and, and touched each other, right? Here, this is Abai was the Rosh Yeshiva and Pumpedita after Rav Yosef passed away. When Abai died, they all go to Mahoza, which is Rava's city, and Mahoza is on the banks of the Tigris. So that's what this is talking about. And so the idea is, is that once Rava dies, like a certain era came to an end. And that's why, and that was the instability there. Um, and then finally concludes with Kinach Nafshe to Rav Misharshia. When Rav Misharshia passed away, Ta'un Dikleit Shinse, right? The palm trees uh, produced uh, thorns. 
right? The idea being that like before he passed away, you know, the crops would always grow well. And then once he passed away, uh, the crops didn't grow anymore. So I, it's a very interesting passage in the Gemara because it's basically sort of describing sort of supernatural events, right? I mean, I, some of Farshim definitely say that this was probably all meant to be a metaphor, um, but it's basically, I think it's actually the Gemara's way of eulogizing these rabbis, right? Like it's not saying literally that we're Rav Yosef and, you know, Rabbi die that, you know, the bridges fell, but instead it's a way of eulogizing them on the page. And so I think from a literary point of view, this is very brilliant of the Gemara, right? After they've gone through, you know, the halachot that they start with that, you know, when a, when a chacham dies, when a sage, a leader of the generation dies, we have to go into mourning. We have to tear Kriya. Then it goes through some examples of eulogies. And then through this passage, in a very short way, the Gemara is giving sort of like a three to four word eulogy on each of these chachamim, right? Like basically saying, this is what happened to the world when this person died. So I, I personally think that's how you read that. So like in a way, it's the Gemara giving over a, a whole bunch of eulogies uh, to, to remember these rabbis. I think it's something very powerful and beautiful that the Gemara preserves them, right? Like this is, you know, the final word on each of these personalities who so often are simply, let's say, mouthpieces for halachic opinion. And sometimes we get their life stories. But here, like, there's something that I think speaks to the importance of, I don't know what, like recognizing who a person is when they're gone, you know, and, and it preserves the, who they are for us generations upon generations later. Right. And again, I, I'll get to that. I think it's interesting. Like we don't get to this till basically the end of the Masecha. Like the, the parak is very careful. It's going to go through all the halachot of mourning. Now we can opine a little bit about like, what does it really mean to experience grief? And I think that's what this daf is doing. The daf is finally moving into sort of the emotional piece of grief and not just the ritual piece of how do we express mourning through the rituals of mourning in Judaism? And now we're finally get through, through the eulogies. You know, what's that emotional experience of grief? Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.